0: Welcome back in for the Lions 24 7 podcast. We are rolling on into week two of Penn State's 2022 football season. Ohio comes to town Saturday, noon kickoff here in Happy Valley. We're back in Beaver Stadium, opportunity for Penn State to improve to 2 0. We had our post game podcast very late Thursday night, early Friday morning, however you want to look at that, breaking down the 35 30, 31 win out in West Lafayette for Penn State. It was a roller coaster ride, as we discussed for about a half hour on the podcast. The plan will be for now that we're back to these normally structured game weeks to come to you on a Monday, circle back to what we saw in the last game, provide some final thoughts on that, start looking ahead towards the next matchup, come to you on Tuesdays out of James Franklin's press conference, when we'll also have a chance to speak with some Penn State players on Tuesdays Start to get a little more intel on how things are trend- trending for these Nittany Lions, some personnel updates, all that. And then Wednesday afternoons, uh, we'll, be, we'll be back with you. or I should say Thursday afternoons, we'll be back with you with our final predictions. You'll hear from a, a beat reporter from the other side of this matchup. So we're going to hunt one down for Ohio this week, hopefully. Um, and then, of course, post game podcast on Saturdays from moving forward. No more th- Thursday matchup. So the next 11 games, you'll get postgame podcast on Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, what have you. But let's jump into it right now and start off a new week. It's Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon. They were both out in West Lafayette, saw this matchup in person. Of course, Daniel hopped on with us from ross Aid Stadium at around 2 a.m. local time there to get our podcast going. Gentlemen, it's Monday morning. Kind of strange to have this much distance from the last game on a Monday, but that's what you get with the early kickoff. And Mark, we haven't had a chance to, to have you join us on the podcast since Penn State kicked off its season 35-31 win. We went through a lot of those details over the course of our post-game pod, but I'm curious how you feel about the Nittany Lions now that you're back in Happy Valley versus when you got on that plane to go out to Indiana.
1: Yeah, uh, like six months ago, it seems. The you know the thing I said in my season prediction was I thought a real key this year was going to be resiliency because because what we saw out of this team the last couple of years you know, whether it was in a game or whether it was over the course of the season, is that when adversity hit, it didn't respond very well. You know, and that goes back to 2020 with the Indiana game. It goes back to uh, last year with the Iowa game when, you know, things go a little haywire and, and, and they don't quite know how to respond. And, and what I liked about that opening game, listen, I, I don't think it was great that it was great for penn state that they raced out to that 21 to 10 lead at the half then just had a dud of a third quarter yeah you know, then they start playing well again and it looks like they're kind of on their way to 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 you know i don't want to say cruising to a win but then the pick six or the puke six or whatever you want to call it happens and you know i'm up there thinking wow i mean we're going to find out about resiliency and honestly i thought you know this team was in some real trouble and then to their credit, on both sides of the ball and special teams, they bounce back. Did they get a break here or there? Yeah, sure. But listen, that's what that's what happens when you're a when you're a good team. So the fact that the defense held when it needed to, the fact that Sean Clifford led that last drive, I think speaks a lot about the resilience of resiliency of this team. Again, we knew that at some point adversity was going to hit. We didn't know how early. We didn't know how you know, we didn't know when. Uh, But the schedule is just too good. And again, they may drop a game along the way or they may struggle within a game. But it's how do you bounce back from that? Because college football is so balanced now that everybody is hit with adversity. And I think the teams that are the best teams are the ones that can bounce back. And this was a good opening statement
0: them 85 seconds to go 80 yards on eight plays. And and when you talk about Clifford being in command of this offense, which was really a buzzword that he kept giving us over the course of August, his command uh, with Mike Gerson, his command once they're on the field as an extension of the staff, there was a long stretch for this game where that command was not apparent. Uh, it, it didn't feel like you know, Sean Clifford was in full control of this offense. And as a result, they were leaving the field in three, four, five plays. Of course, then, Uh, That 8-play eighty yard drive changes the narrative in a big way, and and I guess because of how frantically jolting this matchup could be at times, Daniel, when we sat down to record a post-game podcast, I'd imagine not all of your thoughts were gathered. Now that we're on Monday, what are some things maybe we didn't address enough uh, that that maybe you feel like have risen more in, in, in kind of the importance nature of this game?
2: I think I would piggyback off what Mark said about the resiliency. Um, That was something that I I wasn't really thinking a lot about uh, immediately after the game. Uh, To me, it just kind of felt like the Wisconsin game uh, a year ago, kind of opening the opening the season uh, in the same way. And I think that's something to definitely follow, um, because this game kind of felt like felt like the Wisconsin game. Um, It felt a little bit like the Auburn game uh, in terms of the stakes the way it was kind of seesawing back and forth. Um, and they came out on top of both of those. But in the other games like that down the stretch last season, um, they they really weren't able to. So I'm interested to see how they kind of build this and if this is something that they can sustain because obviously they they couldn't do it last year. Um, you had some injuries to factor in that, that were pretty big that affected that. But overall, I mean, rewatching the game, there's – Yeah, obviously there's a ton of things that when you're watching the TV copy for the second time that you notice um, that you don't notice in person that you kind of gloss over a little bit. But I think one thing that stood out to me was the, on the offense, Mike Yersuch's play design was really, really good. Um, It felt like the guys were getting open. They were doing some really unique things, but it goes back to the quarterback uh, and just kind of getting the ball into the right spot um, the offensive line giving that extra split second uh, for the quarterback to get the ball out, uh, get it where it needs to be. But you look at some of these plays, it, I forget which quarter it was in, but there's a really nice uh, Clifford rolls to his right, dumps it back left to Katron Allen leaking out of the backfield for a nine or 10 yard gain. And just things like that, that put guys into space, um, let them make plays with the ball in their hands um, and you know, get those kind of get those chunk plays, get those chunks of yards you need on on first and second down to set up third and manageable. That was something going through that that stood out to me. And then on top of that, uh, kind of compounding that, you can, you really noticed the plays that they didn't execute, uh, that they weren't able to complete. Whether it was um, you know the pick six, uh, it doesn't get any better <laughs> the, the more times that you watch it. Um, there are some other plays where. Uh, I think there was a play with Harrison Wallace in the fourth quarter where the ball was behind him. But if you lead him, he gets it. Uh, it was just things like that uh, really stood out to me on on the offensive side of the ball when when I was going back through the game uh, over the past couple of days.
1: Yeah, one thing was, I would throw in there, guys, too, is yeah. that uh, you look at Clifford's numbers, Tyler, and you mentioned it. He was six of his last seven, and that's a stat that's been thrown out there. What's not been thrown out there is that he was 0 of 1, 2, 3, 0 of 4 before that stretch. He had missed four straight passes. And I guess the, the reason I bring that up is because how many Penn State games have we lo- watched the last couple years where it was the opposite, where everything was clicking until the very end, and then all of a sudden it's not clicking? That's offense and defense. You know, Daquan Hardy made a play in that game where he was beaten and he rallied and came back and batted the pass away. You know that 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 play doesn't happen last year or the year before, and and it, but that's my point. Especially in opening games, you are not going to play a perfect game. But when is it imperative that you're playing your best football, and it's at the end of the game? And I know we could get into the defensive substitutions as we go along, but I just wanted to bring that up about Clifford. Is that yeah? I mean, as the pick six kind of regathers himself. But then has the those those four straight incompletions at what seems to be the worst time, and you think, wow, this team's done. And then all of a sudden, bang, 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 he goes, leads him right down the field, and throws a touchdown pass to a veteran guy, who a lot of people are like, why is he even in there? Well, why was why was uh, Kevon Lee in there? Because when Purdue goes to cover zero, he knows how to handle it, and he handled it perfectly
0: and floated out, and was able to get the game-winning touchdown. Yeah, you mentioned the fact that that Sean Clifford rewrites the narrative in a big way, changes the way we're talking about this Penn State team, at least for another week and, and maybe the way we're talking about Drew Aller. But I, I, you got to take a little bit of the heat off. And, and because the play design, to your point, we did see guys freed up. And there were times when Clifford did put the ball where it needed to be. Keandre Lambert-Smith obviously going to want to brush off the first half of this matchup as best he can and focus on the end of it and build off of that. Um, Tyler Warren and, and, and off a pass that everyone's talking about that Drew Aller threw. Uh, that ball was not brought in. Uh, and, and look, uh, you're never going to play a perfect game, I th- but I think overall, uh, you come away from this one and say Penn State didn't do that particularly well. Penn State did that, and it felt a lot like 2021 but they came home 1-0, and, and I think a big part of that was the complimentary football down at the end. We've heard complimentary football be thrown around by James Franklin quite a bit in the last couple of years. It's something they want to strive to do more of, and there were a lot of times in the last few years, the Michigan game comes to mind last year in Happy Valley, where the defense comes up with a huge momentum swinging play. It was Arnold Abiquete with a strip sack against Michigan last year, and then sets up the offense, and the offense can't capitalize, and the defense got to go out there and, and try to make yet another stop, and you're, and you're more short on time that Daquan Hardy you know, fingernail or whatever he got on the ball to, to get rid of it, immediately then lending itself to, to, to Sean Clifford pushing that launch button and finding Mitchell Tinsley, and then eight plays later there in the end zone, that was the definition of complementary football. Uh, that was exactly what you're looking for if you're James Franklin, and it's not the formula you hope for where you have to uh, you know, uh, kind of recover from a major self-inflicted wound in, in a critical moment. But to their credit, they were able to do that. And the defense doesn't get it, or if the defense doesn't get it done there, the offense doesn't get its chance. And let's face it, if if the offense doesn't go down um, and, and and score and and they leave that time up, uh, Penn State's defense they've got to come up with another response. And they finally were able to, to get after the quarterback. I know it was a very desperate moment for Purdue, but those last three series, defense, offense, defense, that's basically the equation that you want to see shape up on a on a game to game basis. Unfortunately, a lot of this game, though, you're left wondering: Can Penn State avoid these kind of lapses? They scored three touchdowns in the final two minutes of the of the the halves. In the other 56 minutes of this game, they scored two total touchdowns.
1: Yeah, and but you know, I I would also say you have to look at what Purdue didn't do. You know, and that's going to be the issue: is that if I'm anxious to see how this team does facing a team that could actually run the ball, Mm. because if Purdue could run the ball, it would have put that thing away and they just gave up attempting to run the ball. But that's who Purdue is, and that's why I wonder if that team's ever going to be consistently successful in the Big Ten because I don't think you can win consistently doing that. Having said that, you can only play who you're playing, and and Penn State made the most of of that situation. And Tyler, speaking to complementary football, also the end of the first half where they for, first forced a turnover, don't just sit on the ball, decide to attack. I know Daniel wrote about that and ended up getting a key touchdown out of that. So – Yeah, like nice back and forth, and you have to throw into special teams as well. I mean, Barney Moore doing just a great job after, you know, flubbing an early punt and then just steps up and does a great job.
0: Yeah, Daniel, you did write about that aggressive approach, and it's something that we've seen Franklin and Penn State be satisfied at times in the past to go to the locker room with a certain lead. uh, I mean, following up on your story, what what does that kind of send? Is there a message being sent by this by this Penn State football program early on, or was this just kind of a one off situation?
2: I think that the way that James Franklin really harped on the fact that they had all three timeouts, and that was mm. kind of the the big reason why um, he felt comfortable pushing it, and you know, he gave some compliments to the team for avoiding the the game one types of things that might force you to to burn a timeout with you know nine minutes left in the first quarter or something like that um but I mean he said that they they want to be aggressive um the players said that they they really liked that and I don't really think that there is any kind of um uh, I don't think the players really you know expected like oh yeah they're just gonna we're just gonna take it into the locker room I think that when they got the ball back they were ready to go and um and obviously coming off a, a turnover like that it's not just like oh they fielded a punt with 30 seconds left and um decided to go after it. I mean, you had kind of the the jolt, the energy, um, the momentum off of that big takeaway. Um, so I think that that was something that that really helped them. And of course, you get the, the easy 15 yards on the on the pass interference penalty. Um, that was another one of those kind of plays where he had Mitchell Tinsley. Uh, he had his guy beat pass was a little bit behind him, which I think almost caused uh, the defensive pass interference penalty in a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, complimentary football in, in the right spots at the end of those halves, I think was a really significant uh, way that Penn state was able to, you know, work through, uh, some of the issues, like you said, Tyler in, in the other 56 minutes, um, of the game action. Well, you look at the ebbs
0: and flows of this Penn State team in the highs and lows this game. Uh, Sean Clifford's career has been defined by by ups and downs to this point. They had both of them involved in the final half of the fourth quarter uh, in West Lafayette. But when we when the dust settles on Monday and we're getting ready to record, he's announced as the co-Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. Uh, five total touchdowns accounted for, including that uh, one in the final minute, the touchdown toss to Keevon Lee, and we're going to get into the running backs a bit more. Uh, but, guys, uh, Sean Clifford – Goes into this week, you got Ohio coming in. There's going to be a lot of talk about Penn State should be up four or five touchdowns in the third quarter of this matchup. And they want to see Drew Aller to you, to your putting him aside for the moment. What do you want to see from Sean Clifford in in this game? Because I don't think this Penn State team can survive if he's playing games like that, where it it is so hit or miss uh, over the course of 60 minutes.
1: Well, I think he was robbed a little bit. I think his stats would have been much better had it not been for the, all the drops. I mean, at least three of his balls were dropped. So you, I think you're looking at a, a better percentage. But he can't have that kind of colossal error. I mean, he just can't. I mean, you you, you cannot do that at that point of the game. You, I mean, you shouldn't do it at any point of the game, really. But when you're in a position where you have the lead, you cannot have a six-year guy throw that pass. I mean, Tinsley was open. Uh, you know, worst case scenario, you underthrow it, you don't airmail it, so the other guy can grab it and, and take it the other way, and that's where that's been Sean Clifford's Clifford's bugaboo kind of throughout his career is that just when things are going well, yeah. You know, now again, give him all the credit in the world for rebounding from that, and you know, hopefully he learns from it. But I, you know, at at what point are you beyond kind of learning? I guess you know, teachers would would yell at me for saying that, but in college football, when you're in when you're in it for six years. I mean, he just he can't do that. You cannot have a veteran player make that mistake at that point. Yeah, you know, having said that, you look around college football this first week, and a lot of players are making boneheaded plays at, at key points that really led to uh, wins and losses. But I just think for Sean Clifford, he has to be better than that in that moment, and he knows it. He he's the first one to tell you that. I'm, this isn't any revelation. Overall, I thought he played well. He was a good field manager. You know, obviously had the issue with the dehydration or whatever it was and uh, was able to overcome that. But I just think not making that mistake in that key point of the game is, is, you know, he's got to get beyond that.
2: Yeah, I think you're going to want to see a clean and efficient game from him um, depending on how much he plays. You know, a stat line that's maybe 12 of 16, 10 of 14, um, you know, 15 of 18, something in there just kind of shows that – He can manage the offense, take advantage of a Mac defense. And like Mark said, just avoid um, that kind of very bad mistake Um, that, you know, whether it's the context of the game or just the decision itself, um, if you can avoid that, um, I think that that's what you want to see from him, you know, in in this game uh, this weekend. And in a matchup on, on Thursday night where the running backs
0: combined averaged significantly less than four yards a pop, um, Sean Clifford was essentially a non-f- non-factor on the ground. I'm curious how much of that had to do with whatever was going on with him physically, but that's an area of his game that when Penn State's offense is playing at a high level with Sean Clifford at quarterback, that's typically going to be an element. He essentially got shoved into the end zone by his teammates for his touchdown wasn't a very athletic play where he's rolling out or diving into the end zone. Um, so that's that's something that Sean Clifford, uh, has done pretty well with you know being mobile. and It's also led him to some some injury issues over the, the last few years, um, but that wasn't really a big aspect for Penn State in this matchup. And let's jump right back into the running back room, something I wrote about on Friday. We touched on it a little bit. Um, they did add a carry to Nick Singleton uh, about 36 hours after this game went final. They, they, they were fixing some stuff, some things up in the stat sheet, which was a bit of a mess on Thursday night. Uh, Nick Singleton credited with a 10th carry, so he actually finished as the leading uh a rush attempt getter. We had 10. I uh, had 31 yards. Catron Allen also had 31 yards on the game. Kevon Lee had 30 rushing yards on nine attempts. So you had three guys, uh, 10 carries for Singleton, nine carries for Kevon Lee, eight carries for Ktron Allen. Devin Ford didn't get a carry. He did have an important pickup through the air on a reception on fourth down uh, during a touchdown drive. Uh, but guys, I think that we're going to see more of the same against Ohio. Whether it continues beyond that is where you start to say, can that work, and, and and will it work? And does J1 Sider need to have some very difficult conversations between now and let's say maybe that Auburn game, uh, and, and kind of finalize who Penn State is going to lean on a bit more, or do you just say like in 2019, let you let yourself figure it out through all September and and let these four horses get their run?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty curious as to what it looks like, um, because when we were talking about Ohio, talking about this rotation, I was thinking back to the Ball State game last year where um, Noah Cain came out and they gave Noah Cain 20 carries um, in that game. And, you know, he'd flashed a little bit in the Wisconsin game. um, And you kind of saw some of that old Noah Cain coming back from that injury. Um, But I think that last year, I think we were all kind of surprised that Um, you know, they really leaned on him in kind of that non-conference spot. Um, And it it kind of felt almost like a way where, all right, we're going to feed this guy to get him back on, to get him on track, to get, to knock this rust off, to get him back to where, um, you know, who we think he can be. Um, And I am kind of curious whether it's the Ohio game, uh, whether it's central Michigan, whether someone emerges as a workhorse at Auburn, if they get to a point where they just kind of commit to a guy um, it might not necessarily be the, the quote unquote hot hand, but they go with someone to, to see what they can do um, in an extended period of time. Because, I mean, it's going to get talked about to death this year, depending on if this rotation continues. But, you know, waiting a, a half hour of real time on the sideline between carries um, going four possessions uh, with with sitting on the sideline. Um, how do you kind of mix these guys in? Um, we did see it a little bit. Um, I mean, on the last drive, Catron Allen started it. Kevon Lee finished it. Um, but we didn't really see too much kind of interdrive, um, you know, switching. Even if Nick Singleton, I think his four of his first five plays were carries, or you know, he got the ball a lot right away. Um, but they they kept them in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the rotation. I think it's going to be one of those things where, you know, I mean. It wouldn't surprise me if we're still in October and there's a, a distribution that's very similar to this, almost like a 10-10-10 um, type of deal. And you know, you hope that uh, it, they have more than 30 uh, if they're each getting 10 carries um, based on what they're capable of and and some of the defenses they'll be facing and, and what Penn State needs. Um, but I think that that's kind of a, a bit of an underrated uh, you know, thing to watch uh, against Ohio this weekend when you think about You know what Penn State did last year in a similar spot, and what they have in those running backs, and I guess what they need to see because you know they've seen a lot from these guys in camp and everything that we've heard um, about Nick Singleton, about Katron Allen, um, is that they're great. Um, But that's in practice, that's against Penn State players. What do they look like? You know, against a different colored jersey for an extended period of time. Maybe that's something we find out, but. Yeah, you know, we we still have a couple of days to sort all, sort through all of that. Yeah, I think obviously, we're gonna have a
1: couple of weeks. I think we're gonna have a couple of weeks to to figure that mm-hmm. out. I mean, I, I I would not be surprised if if they don't start making those they don't wait to start making those decisions until that stretch in October of Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't know that you have to. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm not saying Auburn's going to be an easy game. You know, who knows they could they could drop that one down there, but it's a non conference game. Uh, And I think they're going to be positioned where you don't have to make that. So why not have everybody ready to go for the, you know, kind of the the stretch run starts a little bit early for Penn state with, with with that key uh, series. You know, the one thing I will tell you is that I think the stats are a little bit deceiving from that game because people, you, even if you're watching on TV, you could see just a natural feel that Singleton and Allen have for kind of finding the hole and, you know they were picking up 3 maybe 4 yards where in the past a Kevon Lee you know with all due respect to Kevon who I think is a good back would get you know minus 1 or 2 yards and those th- those are big things because if you want to stay you know kind of on schedule there's a giant difference between a 3 4 yard gain in a in a in a you know 0 to 2 yard gain i mean you're it, it's just keeping you that much further along so i think ultimately those two are going to be the workhorses maybe one of them uh emerges but as I mentioned earlier you know you're able to put Kevon Lee in there at the end of the game and make a key read and, and and score a touchdown and Tyler you noted that I thought it was cool to see Devin Ford get in there on that fourth down and pick up a key first down I mean that's that's some buy-in from a guy who you know everybody's looking at the depth chart and even though they don't have an official depth chart we all knew where he was going to be and you know I I I I have a lot of respect for him for having that sort of buy-in that, you know what, you're not going to play much, but when you're going to go in, we're going to put you in. And, I mean, they put him in on a fourth down. I mean, that's some confidence. And I like that from the coaching staff saying, you know what, you're having a different role than maybe you've had in the past. Uh, but, but he embraced it. And, you know, who, who knows where he'll be at the end of the season or after the season, but he's here now. And good for him that he embraced that role. And, and uh, same thing with Kevon Lee. Talking to him after the game, you know, kind of as, as bubbly as always, as, as happy as always. He's not always happy after they lose. But, you know, just I think everybody kind of sees the writing on the wall and people are accepting of, you know, what is kind of is. And and we're going to see as the season goes along, I think we're going to have some fun watching these backs.
2: One one quick Devin Ford thing that, that I noticed on the rewatch uh, was – when DaQuan Hardy knocked that punt that was down at the one and was stopped, when he knocked it into the end zone, Devin Ford was the first guy over to him to you know pull him in, grab him by the helmet. Looked like he had some, you know, some words of encouragement or, you know, whatever for him, and you know, patted him on the helmet. Then they walked to the sideline together. So and I think he said,
1: that I, I, I've made a boneheaded move the move in the past myself. <laughs> <laughs> Every but no, but even when Devin Ford did that against against Indiana, and for people who don't remember, he scored a touchdown he shouldn't have scored. Everybody rallied around him too, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I think he knows from experience that you're in that you're in a tough spot. You do something that everybody knows you shouldn't have done. And, you know, good. And then Daniel, what happens later for Hardy comes back and makes a, you know, maybe a game
0: saving play. Yeah, and, and Slater said uh, just a couple of weeks ago he, he trusts Devin Ford in any situation, and that means a lot to him. And, and Slater certainly showed that in the late stages of this matchup. And what really is, makes this different than the 2019 running back room, which featured four guys involved early and throughout much of September, and J1 Sider compared this room to that group. They got the breakaway speed. Nick Singleton, they had it, and Journey Brown. Uh, what What is different, though, is Kevon Lee has, you know, he's now two yards shy of 1,000 career rushing yards. He's a two-time leader uh, in rushing yards for this team albeit with 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 very modest rushing totals and then Devin Ford is in year four a guy who's had a shot as a starting running back here a former top 24-7 running back himself you look back at 2019 you did have the two freshmen in Ford and Kane that everybody was curious about but you were curious about Journey Brown he was kind of an afterthought year three on campus Uh, no one expected it to turn out the way it did for him and Ricky Slade was your initial starter and he had just been the understudy to Miles Sanders so there's a little bit more. I, I would call them maybe proven commodities. Uh, although you know you're looking for a, a raised ceiling from a guy like Kevon Lee moving forward, uh, and then you throw in the, the two freshman backs. And so I think with Jaywan Sider trying to figure this thing out, it took until mid October last time in 2019 for someone to surpass 10 carries. Uh, we saw Noah Kane kind of take the ball uh, and run with it in mid to late October. Then he was hurt, and of course it was all Journey Brown from November on. But uh, for this program, I think you nailed it, uh, Mark. You've got to kind of sort this out by the time you get out of that bye week in October. I think uh, the the key thing for me, and we we may see that happen as early as Saturday. We didn't see it last Thursday. What happens when a guy like Catron Allen over the course of a series gets six touches, produces 45 yards, and scores a touchdown? And he's getting a rhythm. Are you then going to stick to your plan and say, Katron, we'll see you in 45 minutes of real time. Stay ready. Or are you going to let him get back out there for the next series and try to prove that he can put consecutive series together as a bell cow kind of running back? I'm only using Katron Allen for this example. It could be any of these guys. That, to me, is the next question mark in this process of uncovering your running back. Do they give that guy a few consecutive series, or do they stick with, that was a great series. It's the first quarter. You, know, you came out on fire, we'll see you in the third quarter, stay ready. That to me is, is a tough thing to marry for a lot of fans who hear James Franklin after the game saying, you're looking for the hot hand, and then they're saying, well, how is it possible to generate that with the formula that you currently have? And so that's where you could get some some angst, I think, moving forward if we don't see anybody really get that opportunity to find that rhythm that they want to find. Um, going over to Mitchell Tinsley, who I just want to touch on before we work our way over to the offensive line, I thought the trust that Clifford showed in him. I mean, K. Allen pops up. Mitchell Tinsley pops up during that game-winning drive. You know, newcomers, first time playing alongside Clifford. But to me, really, from the very start of this game, through that pivotal drive where he found him twice for big gains, Sean Clifford very much seems willing to put his eggs in the basket of Mitchell Tinsley. And for a while I've been saying this guy's going to be a really good complementary piece in the wide receiver group, number two player. Maybe I was underselling his potential in this offense because – the first first game was really impressive. I think uh, from the Western Kentucky transfer.
1: Yeah, I remember when we did the the guesses on who was going to lead the team in touchdowns, and I one of us did, and I'm not joking about this. I forget if it was me, but one of us I think might have said Mitchell Tinsley, just because he had scored so often. And I think people took the other most obvious per- people, uh, but I, you know, I come out of that game thinking he really had the look of their best receiver, didn't he? I mean. I thought so. You know, he's targeted – these stats were all botched, but to the, the best we know, 12 targets, seven catches, uh, you know, the airmail over his head, that would have been a big gainer. Uh, I mean, he just looked completely comfortable out there. You know, that – you know, he he. we knew that he had played against Michigan State. He had played against Indiana. He played against a good App State team, uh, which we saw in a bowl game. Uh, so he's played against good competition, and that moment definitely was not too big for him. And you know, you look at what they were doing against Parker Washington. I think they Purdue was was trying to take him away, and that opened things up for Mitchell Tinsley and Lambert Smith. Uh, but you know, I would say as good as Mitchell Tinsley looked, and but Lam- to me, Keandre Lambert Smith, you know, he had one big play later in the game. But you know, he he has got to catch those footballs, man. He he has got to catch those balls. And you know, we try not to be overcritical of players. But he's been on a lot of games. Some, one of us, one of you, mentioned how many games he's already started. It's kind of mind blowing at this point. That was, that was his 19th start. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't you can't do that when you're 19 starts in. And but you know what I liked about that, and I know I'm kind of rambling. We're sitting there, Daniel and I, in the press box, and when he made those drops, they pulled him both times. Now, not for the whole game, but when he dropped those balls, he came he came out immediately. I mean, they were like, "Get him out of there." uh replaced him and i think that's what you need to do that's where you have to be with this with 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 this team is that if people are making those kind of mistakes give somebody else a couple snaps let them gather themselves on the sideline but uh, i would just say as high as i would be on on tinsley boy Lambert smith come on man you got you got to pull
0: up you got to pull together out there we'll be right back on the lions 24 7 podcast Over the course of this night, I think when you're talking about key moments, big pickups, it was hard to look away from what Mitchell Tinsley did. And by the way, just just looking through his recent history – this is now six consecutive games in which Mitchell Tinsley has played and caught at least seven passes over the course of that game. That, that's that's pretty damn impressive. And and over at, at, at tight end, we got to find out what's going on with Theo Johnson. That'll be a topic of conversation. He made the trip out, uh, but he did not suit up. And we've long talked about him as one of those tantalizing tight ends. He didn't have him on the field. Brenton Strange comes up with a big play. But I, I don't want to spend much time at tight end because we got to get over to defense quick. I do want to talk about offensive line. Uh, It was as expected, I suppose, at guard where we saw a bunch of Hunter Norzad, a lot of that on the left side, which meant taking reps away from Landon Tangwall, uh, making his, his first career start. And then on the right side, Salim Wormley works his way back from that injury recovery. He is the guy on the right side. We also saw Norzad in play there a bit, but predominantly on the left. And then at right tackle, I mean, it was hard to avoid this subject coming out of the game. It was a a change that occurred before the game-winning drive in which Bryce Efner goes in on the right side. Mark, I'm going to toss this one to you because you told us two or three weeks ago you felt that Caden Wallace – typified the entire scenario that this offensive line is encountering going into September. Can you kind of reiterate why you felt that way and what you think it made me moving forward? Yeah, I
1: mean, it basically, and I don't think I'm alone. I think everybody, including the coaching staff was saying, Hey, it's time for people to start proving themselves on the offensive line for, for years. Now we've said the talent is there. And for years they've underperformed and, I I don't know what it is with Caden Wallace. And, again, we don't like to be overly critical of college players, okay? But he's a veteran guy. He's a multiple-year starter now. And he has all the physical tools. And we've talked to him, and he's a a super intelligent guy. And it's just not coming together, I mean, uh, for him. And the, the fact that James Franklin sort of called him out after the game, which James Franklin rarely, rarely, rarely does that. So I think even within the staff, there's probably a little bit of head-scratching going on saying, you know, what's going on here. I thought overall the offensive line played pretty well. You know, not great, but I thought it played well. I thought Juice played well at at center, and I thought Warmly played well. And and obviously they were very high on Olu, making him one of their players of the game, Penn State. Uh, And Norzad came in and Tangwell. But, but, I mean, that's one glaring spot that in these next few games, these next couple of games – he they really have to he really has to figure things out or they're going to have to go in a different direction and i'm not sure what that direction would be whether you move tangwell out and let norzad start whether you depend on a guy like Efner, who i thought was an unsung hero in the game listen he he, he didn't come in and and, and dominate but it, you know he came in and did what you would expect of a veteran did the best that he can do And wasn't a complete disaster. I mean, that's what it boiled down to at that right tackle spot. So, these next couple weeks, I just think are gigantic for Caden Wallace in his football career. Because again,
0: yeah, Mark, you pointed out that Franklin's, uh, you know, had had some comments about Caden. I just wanted to read them to our viewers, our our listeners. Uh, it, It was it was one line here, but it was about as pointed a remark as you'll hear from James Franklin in a post game conference setting about a player. He said, "Obviously, Caden has some things he's got to work on." He left that there. He said they were planning on on, on bringing Bryce Eftner in to rotate, anyways. As we discussed in the podcast, I don't think you planned to say, "Let's wait until we're down by three points uh, with the game on the line, and, and then we'll work in Bryce." <laughs> But overall, I think James Franklin going to his offensive line, one thing he got back to in his answer about his offensive line was he felt like there were too many runs. This is a quote, too many runs where the running backs didn't have a situation to really get going and be open in space, make a safety miss. We've got to keep chipping away at that. And I think that ultimately is at the crux of this. You've swapped in some really talented running backs for some guys who are gone on elsewhere. By the way, Noah Kane scored a touchdown for LSU yesterday. Um, I would just note here that if you can't gain some separation and give these guys some daylight, you're going to see a lot of redo moments on what you saw last year. I know James Franklin wants to be able to showcase the breakaway speed of this backfield, wants these guys to find the room. Um, We didn't get to see that happen with any kind of consistency over the course of game one. And what a moment it will be. Maybe it will happen on Saturday when we see one of these guys rip off some kind of 40-plus yard run and, and ramble on down. It's just a long time coming, it feels like, for this team.
2: Yeah, I would I would add when talking with James Franklin's quote about, you know, the running backs not being able to get going, uh Kevon Lee's 12-yard run, which was the the longest run that they had. It was kind of the you know, it was a, it felt like such a rarity where the, everyone's blocked up the holes there. He's able to get to the second level and that's where he finally makes contact and the way that he's built, he, you know, bowls through a couple guys, has guys on him and is able to get across the first down marker and it was the type of thing where I think we saw it a little bit on when Singleton and Allen both had their nine yarders those are very similar where it just kind of felt so rare it felt like something that we really weren't used to seeing uh, based on how this line and this this running game has played and I think that it you know it sounds like the the bar just feels pretty low but when you think about uh, going against a team like Ohio you're just kind of like Yeah, if we can just see some seven and eight yard runs on a on a consistent basis that even six yard runs, it would it would really, I think, show a a very marked improvement uh, for this run game. You don't want Villanova part
0: two. I mean, last (laughs) year, that was when a lot of the red flags went up for Penn State fans, even though the wins were getting collected in September and Sean Clifford was making some noise in the passing game. People saw that Villanova game, realized that they weren't getting the push up front started to forecast what that might look like when they played some big 10 opponents in October and November. And unfortunately that came to fruition and it was exactly what you thought it might look like, like over the course of that game, you want a confidence builder here. You want it for the offensive line. We were talking about it last September. Uh, there, you know, at this point, they're a year overdue for a confidence builder on the ground. So we'll talk about that more as the week progresses. We spent a lot of time focused on that side of the ball. Drew Aller's name is going to pop up over the course of this week. There's no doubt about it. But defensively, fellas, um, we talked about the clutch moments for Penn State's off offense. Came up with them defensively uh, in this one, too, late in the game. Joey Porter Jr. squarely in the spotlight uh, as this matchup progressed. And by the time it finished, I think people were ready to crown him as a first-round pick. Uh, But what stood out to you ultimately, I'm just going to throw this out there. I want to see more Chop Robinson because he brings something off the edge that I'm not going to say they haven't had in recent years because they've had some outstanding players. But it looks like it could be at an elite level as it gets refined. And it already is at a... You turn your head toward 44 when he's rushing after the passer. It, it happened pretty frequently for me. Um, and, and in this matchup, he finally got home in the end. And, and what a really cool moment for the former Terrapin.
1: Yeah, I think it's only a matter of time until he's starting. Uh, but what stood out to me overall with the defensive line in the secondary is, is how many reserves they played and how many how many snaps everybody played. They weren't just playing reserves for a series or so. And it got to the point, in, and I'll admit this, and, and Daniel knows that, you know, in the fourth quarter, there were some guys out there in the secondary. I'm like, why do they still have these guys out there? I mean, uh, but you know what? Manny Diaz was right that they, they ended up having guys who were super fresh at the very end of that game and ended up having, what, you know, three holds and, and not, I mean, uh, three non-scoring drives by Purdue uh, when it mattered the most. So uh, I like the fact that they went that deep. And, again, it wasn't just rotating somebody in here and there. It was having guys play deep into the fourth quarter in that secondary and on that defensive line. I think the thing that stands out maybe that you're, you're nervous about is what we all were wondering about was that linebacker depth. And, you know, you lose an Abdul Carter – Uh, Curtis Jacobs gets banged up for a a play or two. Uh, He obviously came back in. But then all of a sudden you're looking at the reality of, you know, who's coming in and having to play if you have an injury or two or, uh, you know, somebody's uh, knocked out for for targeting. So, yeah, the depth, uh, that secondary depth is just crazy, man. I mean, and it was fun to watch what they were able to do at the end of that game when they knew Purdue had to go – uh, you know, a long way in a short time and having, what, seven, eight defensive backs out there with Jair Brown playing linebacker. I mean, it was that was fun. That was fun to watch. And at that point, you knew there's no way this is happening because they're just too athletic back there.
2: I, I really liked looking at the, the different packages that that Manny Diaz was was putting out there. Um, I know that with uh, with Brent Pry, we kind of always talked about it. You knew what you were going to get. Uh, for the most part from that defense, you knew kind of what the structure of it was going to be. But to see Manny Diaz kind of mix and match things a little bit, uh, Mark mentioned the package where, and it was this three defensive linemen, where sometimes only one of them would be down. Um, And then Curtis Jacobs, Jair Brown, and then all defensive backs behind him. Um, I think that that was kind of a, a good way to get all of that talent onto the field. We know that Terry Smith is really high uh, on his cornerbacks. Um, we know that those safeties have gotten a lot of work uh, back there, in, in kind of that competition. So I was, you know, it was really nice to see all of those guys on the field and and in position to make plays. Um, yeah, I talking about Chop Robinson and, and the defensive line. You, you kind of Purdue is just it's such a tough way to evaluate um, those guys. The way that they play, the way their offenses, just very predicated on on getting the ball out quickly um you know I want to see if these if Adisa Isaac can look kind of like we expected him to against a team like Ohio um if we can see more Chop Robinson um a guy that I'm very a little bit more curious about now after uh week one is Amin Vanover uh he's someone that I think we could see more of you know against a team like Ohio because he had the hustle play downfield and then he made um, he combined with Hakeem Beeman on a really nice tackle for loss. Um, And I think that it was kind of, we didn't see Smith Vilbert on the travel roster and that kind of raised our eyebrows a little bit. And I think Amin Vanover kind of showed, um, you know, why he was there, what he was there for. So, I mean, I think that the, the biggest takeaway for me coming out um, from, I guess, the you know ten thousand foot view looking at the defense is just kind of what Manny Diaz was doing. Um, we saw some of those blitzes. Um, we saw kind of the the aggressiveness uh, in the way that you know Joey Porter Jr. was attacking the ball, the way that those defensive backs were going for the strip um, when when someone was held up. Um, so I think there's a lot to kind of you know take away from this, um, and it was just it was fun. Um, I think after last year watching kind of four guys go after the quarterback and, um, you know, the Sam linebacker out there covering a slot receiver, um, I think that this was a little bit different and, uh, you know, it made things uh, a little bit more exciting.
1: Yeah, you know what I would I add one. to Tyler yeah. is, the, you know, Aiden O'Connell, uh, that was a really good opening test. I mean, that's about as refined a quarterback as you're going to see this year. And, I, and I'm talking about everybody who's on the schedule. Penn state did some things with blitzing that he recognized and, and beat. And I mean, it was like NFL level stuff. You're like, okay, here comes the linebacker. Where's he throwing right? Or here comes the cornerback off the edge Where's she's really throwing right behind where the cornerback was, or the linebacker comes from one side and he reads it and, and, and throws it straight to the open man hot. I mean, that was a really nice opening test. I mean, the, the question marks about this defense, are going to revolve around what it's able to do against the running game. Because I think that was a very stern test, and I think this defense passed. I think there were some issues at times, but overall, I think the defense did a really nice job against an extremely talented quarterback who I don't know that he's going to be an NFL starter, but I think that guy's going to play in the NFL for a lot of years uh, because he is very skilled. And, and has some talents that just a lot of quarterbacks that they don't come naturally to a lot of quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, ends up 29 of 58. Uh, a guy who's completed 72% of his passes last year, and, and obviously there were a stretch of this game where he caught fire, but the Penn State defense, they got their hands on a lot of balls. I think Joey Porter ended up getting credited with six pass breakups, which is just uh, extraordinary. Uh, it's just at a different level than, than what we're ever accustomed to seeing from a defensive back. Um, so there were opportunities to make plays. And for the most part, Penn State made them when you throw the ball 58 times and only one of those passes results in a touchdown. That's a, that's a pretty good day for your defense. And uh, guys, uh, I, I, you mentioned the Amin-Vanover hustle play. I want to get to one more defensive end. Adiza Isaac was a guy that I'm really curious to see what he looks like on you know the first game of October versus the first game of September. This injury that he's working is way back from. And I think a lot of it physically should be behind him at this point but mentally when you hear about guys recovering from an achilles injury and you're trying and, and what you're doing is based on explosiveness off the edge and, and being a tackle to a point this is a guy uh and adiza isaac that i feel like you can see him getting better and better as the season goes on that's the best case scenario um i think i just i'm just really curious because if you were hoping to see a finished product and adiza isaac is like this is your first teamer, a guy who's ready to be a breakout kind of player. You didn't necessarily get that feel, at least I didn't, watching this matchup. But I also need to understand, and I think everyone does. Let's give him some time to work, and let's give him some time to attack. Overall, in the day, I thought Chop Robinson was the most impactful rusher off the edge. That may change over the next few months maybe chop gets better and 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 adiza gets better and everybody gets better um but i think right now adiza isaac there's a lot of room to grow for him moving forward i'm curious to hear what pj mustafer thought about his first performance back um but but it's great to get these guys back but as we've been talking about you can't just insert them in a lineup and say now you've got a couple guys who are going to play all big 10 football for you september's proving ground for a a few of these guys uh, who are working their way back from injury probably so throw salim warmly in that as well and uh, I just wanted to note that I felt Adiza Isaac. Um, that's, there's, that's an area on the field right now where I think like Penn State could be in a lot better shape when they get through a couple games more uh, and kind of get his footing back underneath him.
1: Yeah, they were very careful with Isaac and P.J. I mean, very careful. I I don't know the snap counts, but uh, P.J. came out of there really early, and I was almost wondering, could he be banged up? But nope, they were. I think they were just playing <laughs> it smart, and I think wisely so. Uh, and uh, yeah, with, with Isaac... It's a little bit different, as you said, Tyler, when you're on that edge and you need that explosiveness. Like I think you can get away with it a little bit at tackle with waiting for the explosiveness to kind of come along. And yes, P.J.'s going to be better in October than he is now, but it was more noticeable with Adisa. But I think the good news is they have other options there until he gets back. Until he, you know, and, and knock on wood, you know, uh, we're objective, but everybody's hoping for everybody to be able to play at full health, especially these, Disa Isaac, because when he's 100%, he's a gifted, gifted athlete. So, uh, you know, you, you hope for his sake by early mm-hmm. October that he's back to the level that he was at in the preseason last year when he got banged up.
2: It, it's easy to talk about the, the rehab and, you know, both Adisa was, participating at various points in spring practice, both Adisa and PJ Mustafer were back for, for fall camp, but the way the game is now there and the way that practices are done, you know, they, they do do the scrimmages. There are some contact periods here and there, but there's really no kind of replacement for the real thing for, you know, being in the stadium, you know, 50,000 fans, uh, a different color uniform across from you. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, kind of like Tyler says proving ground, you know, guys will get their feet under them. They'll, you know, you kind of have to like play your way uh, into shape from almost like the mental side of it. And, um, you know, getting used to that kind of environment playing in that kind of environment. So I think that over these next couple of weeks, you know, October 1st, I think that I think that Northwestern game is going to be pretty big in terms of a lot of individual players, just figuring out where they are, who they are going into that bye week with? What is uh, what is waiting um, on the other side of that?
0: By the time Penn State got into their second defensive series on Thursday night, they had already been rolling in. <clears throat> excuse me, backups: uh, Jalen Reed at safety, Jordan Vandenberg at, at defensive tackle, Devon Ealy's at uh, at defensive tackle. Kobe King got right in there, Mike linebacker. I mean Vanover, Dom DeLuca, Zane Durant, all just on the second defensive series. And, and James Franklin said after this matchup. Hey, if you thought we used a lot of guys and we went deep on defense, just wait till the next game. That's something they want to do. Uh, that's why I said uh, don't read into too much into some of these spots who the first guy is out there uh, from snap one. You know, look at the full body of work from sixty minutes. Who's getting that? Who's coming out the other side with some momentum? And I think with that said, either of you feel comfortable enough to say you know who the Mike linebacker is going to be for Penn State come October first? Because I'm not there yet.
1: No, I think they have a lot of work to do there. I think they're fortunate um that i don't know that they're going to f- face a great rushing team before that and that that's where you know auburn you know,
0: auburn should auburn should want to they'll be good
1: but i but but i'm talking you know auburn still has th- yeah. that's still a work in progress and they could prove me wrong and come out and rush for 4 for 500 yards whatever but i do, and and that's also a non conference game not saying that you kind of that you want to lose it but you know it's just that that position you know, and it wasn't just against the run. I mean, there was some issues in, in coverage from that position as well. So, yeah. to me, that's the spot on defense that they really have to nail down. I thought Sutherland played well, you know, in spots. And, you know, in Curtis Jacobs, you know what you're going to get. Really wish we could have seen more of Abdul Carter. You know, I feel almost bad for him. I think by the letter of the law, that was the 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 penalty. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I think that Mike spot is really the, the
0: question mark uh, for this entire defense moving forward. Yeah, I, think, I didn't get the warm and fuzzies watching that group uh, over the course of the game. I, I think, I think it seemed to be Elson playing catch up in some key moments. Uh, Kobe King maybe a little bit more instinctual out there, uh, but it's very hard. Uh, to, 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 to try to take too much away from just this one matchup in New York Point. I do want to see both these guys have to get after it, where the objective of the opponent is to ram the ball down your throat and run after the middle linebacker. That response is going to be really pivotal to see. And that safety was the veteran Keaton Ellis got the start. I thought he handled himself pretty well over the course of this one, but certainly wasn't his job just to hold down. You saw a bunch of uh, of Jalen Reed, who I, who I thought flashed at times, unfortunately. Came out of this game, seemed to be banged up there in West Lafayette. That's going to be a, a, a kind of a, a situation to track here moving forward. And then Zaki Wheatley. Uh, maybe we didn't see as much of him as we expected, but when we did see him, he was coming up with, guess what, a turnover forced uh, in the arms of Joey Porter Jr., right alongside Pat Kraft, who was giving a big cheer on the sideline. Uh, I, I do want to ask that before we get to our five-star mailbag. We got a pretty accustomed to Sandy Barber, uh, especially you, Mark, covering her entire tenure here. What did you think about Pat Kraft? You had some video up from Brennan Brennan Cam after this game. You saw how fired he was after the game. But anyone who was watching the game and looking close enough on that broadcast could see the athletic director, the new guy on campus, jumping up and down because Penn State forced a fumble just a few yards away from him. Uh, what, What do they have here in an AD for James Franklin in the football program?
1: They have a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve. I mean, I know that's
0: a cliche, but I said it joking
1: around in a text thread with you guys. He's all he's he always seems like he's on the verge of, uh, you know, com- being in a complete rage or breaking down in emotional tears. Uh, when when they handed him the game ball after the game, you know, we had that on the Brennan cam. But yeah, just the energy. Uh, you know, I'm not not a knock on Sandy Barber because she was wired a different way, but this dude brings a different whole aspect uh, to it. And Daniel was the one who spotted that on the sideline. That was pretty good. Uh, when Joey Porter Jr. recovered that fumble, I, I posted something on Twitter saying if Joey Porter Jr. didn't get it, Pat Kraft was going to. He was right in position there. But uh, really seems to be, you know, wired kind of in line with Franklin. And, uh, you know, just the emotion, it was pretty cool to, to, to see uh, out of that guy. I mean, he – He's bringing it, he's bringing it an energy that I think Penn State needs in the athletic department. I'll put it that way. He's bringing an energy that in in this new realm of NIL and everything else, you need a dynamic, energetic AD and that's what
0: this dude is. And Mark's got a note up on Penn State. Some NIL news may surfacing here in the next couple of days over at lines 247com on our message board. A lot of conversation going on about that right now. Mark uh, had a post over the weekend. Guys, let's finish with our five-star mailbag. We've got James Franklin's press conference tomorrow. It'll be a chance to ask him a bunch of questions. Uh, this time it's the audience asking us one, and let's dive into it. Which Penn State position with a new starter do you feel more confident about after game one? I'm taking a layup here punter hey it wasn't an issue on the road it wasn't a great first punt and you started thinking uh-oh is this going to get adventurous it was not barney Moore, whatever it was he, he was calm cool and collected the rest of the way and it was vital for them i mean not just in a field position standpoint just to avoid any kind of miscue over the course of this game because this was a razor thin margin for error for both sides so i'll give barney Moore a lot of credit what a nine-day span for him, or whatever it was, getting the scholarship uh, from Eli Manning, and then getting to the point where he's on the road at Purdue and handling himself with authority. And oh, by the way, he should have had one there at the doorstep if if the coverage team had been able to to, to lock that down. So, if you're going to get that out of Barney and more on a consistent basis, I'm feeling a lot better about the punter situation than I was when Jordan Stout, you know, frolicked off to the NFL draft last winter.
2: Go ahead, Daniel. Well, I would just say with Barney Amore, you can you can read more about him at, at Lions 24-7. A uh, oh, yes. little, little plug <laughs> there. But uh, with with the punt, I would just say the first punt, he was asked about that. Um, and he talked about in terms of practicing and getting to the point where when you miss hit, you want to miss hit forward and not off to the side. Because when it's to the left or the right, those are the the 12-yard shanks. And so, yeah, you know, I thought that was a really interesting kind of to hear from him and kind of the the science of punting where, you know, he said that he mishit it, but you want to rep things enough. You want to rep things enough that when you do mess up, it's still going forward um, because you can still get it 38 yards. Um, so I thought that was a little bit of, of interesting insight uh, from him after the game. Um, for, for me, for this one, I'm going to go with someone that we, we just mentioned at a position where I don't necessarily know if this guy will still be the starter in a couple weeks, but Watching the game back, I was really impressed with Keaton Ellis at safety. I, you didn't really notice it in the flow of the game, but in going back, I think he got credited with three pass breakups. He was active blitzing. I just really felt like every time I was looking up, number two uh, was, was there around the ball and coming into this year, Zaki Wheatley had all the hype coming out of the spring as the, as the takeaway King, he was you know, the guy we didn't see last year who, who moved over, Jalen Reed was the only other freshman besides Kalen King who, who burned his red shirt. Um, so there's, you had a lot of, I guess, attention hype around him. And I think we kind of felt like with, with Keaton Ellis, Oh, we, we know what he is at this point. Um, you know, you know what you're going to get. Um, but what we got on Thursday night, I thought was a little bit more than, than we expected. Um, obviously if he can haul in that one interception, uh, that would have, you know, really iced things there at the end, but I just came away really impressed with him. He was someone that, in in my notes, I kept writing down Keaton Ellis, Keaton Ellis, Keaton Ellis. Um, obviously, there's a lot of competition at that spot. We saw the rotation. But the way that Manny Diaz is playing those defensive backs, I don't think it'll matter uh, whether or not he's starting. I think he'll still get a lot of opportunities out there.
1: Yeah, and he's also a good special teams player. I mean, he yes. downed one down inside, what was it, the three or the two or whatever it was. You know, I'm not going to go with Mitchell Tinsley just because we've already talked about him uh, a lot. I was really impressed with Olu Fashanu at, at left tackle. You know, it was kind of the polar opposite of, of right tackle. I know he started the bowl game, but he's, he's a new starter to me. And to, to have him come in and play the way he did, you know, you really didn't notice him you know, and that's the key with, with with an offensive lineman. I know that's kind of a backhanded compliment. Uh, but yeah, Olu, I thought, came in and played really well for his first game. I think they could be comfortable with that spot moving forward. That doesn't mean he may not have issues against some of the premier pass rushers. There's still a learning curve, uh, but he's a young guy. He's big. He's athletic. Uh, he, you know, I think he's He is going to be a really good offensive tackle for as long as they're able to keep him on on campus and not going to the next level. I don't know that's happening anytime soon, but I think you look at at him and he has all the tools to be, you know, a player at that next level. And I did want to throw in one other other thing Uh, before we wrap up. It's the last day of our 75% off VIP special. Uh, We've had a great, great uh, turnout for this. We appreciate everybody who's come on board, but – Hey, you get in on the VIP action for less than $0.08 per day. Tyler Calvaruso is doing a great job on recruiting. Uh, Tyler Donahue pitches in on recruiting. Brian Doan and the whole team. We've had VIP notes. Uh, So it's a great way uh, to get plugged into Penn State sports and to really support our site. I mean, we really appreciate everybody who's a a subscriber and supports our site. A lot of changes over the last however many months, but we're closing in on a a new high uh for for subscriptions all time which is tremendous so 75% off goes through monday night so if you're watching this on tuesday listening on tuesday you missed it but i'm sure we'll have another great deal but this is our best deal of the year 75% off for an annual so just wanted to put that plug in and appreciate everybody who does subscribe
0: And this weekend, while we were wrapping our minds around Purdue, Penn State, Tyler Cabaruzzo spent three consecutive days at high school football games. So he's out and about his coverage at lions247.com. We'll have a chance to get back into the Beaver Stadium media room on Tuesday afternoon. It's time for the annual press conference with James Franklin. We'll come back to you pretty soon after that with a fresh podcast break down the takeaways from James Franklin, start looking ahead to Ohio. And then we're back on the practice field Wednesday. Don't want to miss our VIP notes coming off the field Wednesday evening, including a full photo gallery from our latest look at the Nittany Lions. Big thanks to Daniel and Mark for joining me here on the podcast. And of course, Lance Glenn getting it done behind the scenes as our producer. We'll talk to you pretty soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.